Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, Genesis 32, and I've entitled our Bible study, Limping Along with God's Full Blessing. And let me say, you don't have to limp along to receive God's full blessing, but this is the route that Jacob chose. He chose to receive the blessing of God, but as a result, he's going to limp. Uh, He is wrestling with God today in our text in a very real way. Laban's yoke has been broken. Jacob is free now. He's moved on from Laban. He's moved on from a very difficult situation. God has brought him through this great trial. Even you today, God will bring you through great trials. I know that we want to be delivered from them, and on occasion, God will take you out. But most often, he delivers us and takes us through. And for 20 years, Jacob dealt with Laban. 20 years, same trial, same difficulty. And yet, even in the midst of the difficulty, there was blessing. God protected him. And Laban ends up leaving him alone. Jacob, through it all, is changed and molded. It's all been used, even though at this point in chapter 32, he's probably a mixed up man, filled with all sorts of emotions, fear, anxiety, relief, regret. But Jacob moves forward. I want you to mark this in your life. What we see in Jacob's life, although he may not necessarily see it as he's living it, but we look at his life and we can see this principle for us. All that he went through, he moved forward. He continued going forward. He continued taking the steps that he needed to go through the next day. Or as Elizabeth Elliot, I learned this from Elizabeth Elliot, she said in the midst of deep, difficult things that you learn to do the next thing. And you gotta learn to do the next thing. You gotta learn to move forward. The trials in your life may not be solved as fast as you desire. They may not be lifted as quickly as you would want. But while you're waiting on the Lord, your strength is being renewed. And in that newness of strength, you learn to move forward forward. I found a scripture. Uh, This is a principle throughout the scriptures, but I found one in particular that encouraged me in a season of my life many years ago in Joshua chapter 13 in verse one. I'll just read it to you. It says, now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And listen, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Joshua, you've come to this place in your life, but there's still more progress. You still have more ahead of you. There's still more. And for Jacob and for you and for me, there's still more. Notice with me now in verse 1, chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now Jacob continues on his journey. He's separated from Laban here. He continues and he's met by angels. And when he saw them, he proclaimed the place as God's, as a reminder of God's faithfulness, that God has been faithful with him. Now it's important to realize that angels are real. 
We're not gonna get deep into a study on what would be known as angelology here, but sufficient for our time today, Jacob has dealt with real angels. You remember back with Jacob's dream, he saw real angels on the ladder. Here he is met by real angels. Angels are real and powerful spiritual beings. They're not weird, but rather a class of creation from God. And I'm convinced that there are angels in the room right now. Uh, we, we know biblically that angels are ministering spirits according to Hebrews chapter one and verse 14. And we studied that when we went through Hebrews. We know in 1 Peter chapter one and verse 12, to them it was revealed, not to themselves, Peter writes, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through things who have, been, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. There are even angels looking out for us. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Jesus says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see my face of my Father who is in heaven. That, that principle of guardian angels comes from this passage here in Matthew 18. Somehow angels are involved and sent by God, they're messengers and supernatural beings, both on the good side, loyal to God, and on the bad side. What we would call an angel that has rebelled against God, we would refer to them as demons. And the demonic realm is very real, and it's unfortunate at times that the demonic realm gets more attention than the angels that are two to one loyal to God. And these are real angels loyal to God, being sent to encourage Jacob along the way. Verse three, it says, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them saying, speak thus to my Lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob says, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Something in Jacob at this point seeks peace with his brother, probably because he's a little scared and a little concerned. It could be also that he's a little burnt out by having to deal with Laban all these years and just having this difficult, almost life-threatening uh, situation with Laban. But since he's in the mood to make peace, there is this appearance, let's go, let me, let me send some messengers to my brother. Maybe the Lord might be in it. And I think Jacob knows of the promise of God. It's the same promise that, that caused his mom to deceive dad. And just for you, if you wanna look back in chapter 25, just by way of reminder, in Genesis 25 and verse 23, Jacob knows this truth even though it was used differently uh, in Genesis 25, notice with me in verse 23, it says, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Jacob knows this. He knows the difficulty he has with his brother, and he sends messengers to Esau to pave the way for peace. I notice in verse four, he's, 
He's the brother here, and you notice what he says. He calls Esau his Lord. He says, tell my Lord, tell, tell, speak thus to my Lord Esau, thus says uh, your servant Jacob. It's not true uh, that he's going to be his servant, but again, these are terms of peace. He has the right idea, but he's not fully convinced in his mind that God will bring him through. Remember this with Jacob. Jacob vacillates between manipulating things and trusting God. Manipulating things and trusting God. And this is one of those vacillating moments here. Verse six, he says, then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, he is also coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. And so what happens in verse seven? Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. 400 friends. (laughs) So now there's fear and distress on top of everything else Jacob is going through. His plot, Jacob, this causes him to be very upset. He arranges the flocks and everything into two companies. He's got a plan, he's got a scheme, he's got a plot to be safe, but step back for a second and let's just understand this for what it is. Jacob has plans, but he's not in control. You might wanna jot that down. Jacob has plans, but he's not in control. Jacob has ideas to preserve, in this case, at least half of what he has. This particular scheme and plot has him in a position that if he loses, he's gonna still most likely keep half of what he has. So this plot and scheme, God has for him a perfect will, exactly what Jacob needs. Jacob right now thinks he needs at least half, and he set it up. He set it up from a position of weakness because he's not in control. He tries, even with this plan, he is still not in control. This would be what we call today a contingency plan. A contingency plan. There are lots of contingencies that we have in life as we make our own decisions. But there is no contingency plan with God. God's perfect will will be worked out in your life. He has, he has something worked out and working out with you as you turn to him and trust him. Let me say that it's very unsettling when things are outside of your control. So much so, you're unwilling to admit that things are outside of your control. You're unwilling to submit that things are outside of your control. And it crushes you. It crushes you sometimes. It's disturbing. It's unsettling. And this is the beginning, the beginning stages of worry and fretting and manipulation and schemes and plots. Turn over to Matthew's gospel with me, me, would you? Right there in the beginning in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Early on as Jesus is teaching kingdom principles, understanding the sovereign control of God was a big piece of living in the kingdom. It is a big piece of literally giving you the peace of God. Matthew here, chapter six, in verse 19, you see it in contrast to some of the things that we do trust in. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one or love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Then in verse 25, it's the conclusion. When you see a therefore, you could also replace that word because. It's a conclusion statement of what was just previously said. Therefore, I'm telling you, don't worry, Jesus says. Notice he says, don't worry about your life. That's pretty much everything. But then he breaks it down. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink, nor about your body, what you're gonna put on. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, verse 29. And yet, I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Jacob faces trouble here thinking about his brother and having Laban come after him with a murderous desire and now thinking of Esau and wondering what's going to happen there. He comes up with a plan that's birthed in worry. He's concerned. God allows these difficulties into our lives. One of the reasons is to remind us of who is in control. To remind us that our lives are to be lived by faith. You remember again in Hebrews, when we were studying through Hebrews, we learned that foundational principle that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything outside of trusting God does not please him. It does not help us along the path. In our lives, when we act without faith, without trust, it's impossible to please God and quite impossible to please ourselves as well. When you think that a plan that gives you peace is really gonna last. Because there's so many things, there's so many variables. What if Esau Esau ends up splitting his whole camp into four companies and he takes two two each and sends them after both of yours, Jacob? What are you gonna do then? And what about, and what if? There aren't enough contingencies to cover things that are simply outside of our control. Again, Jacob, though, is being developed He's being, deep down, God is working in him a faith that's gonna be necessary moving forward. Now, come back to Genesis in verse 32. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, and I'll deal well with you. 
I'm not worthy of the least of all mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant. I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Lest he come and attack me, the mother, and the mother and with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. It's never too late to pray. He plans first, but then he prays. It is better to pray first, then plan, to seek God first, then receive direction, but it's never too late to pray. He's in a desperate situation. He says it from his own lips that he's afraid for his life. And I want you to see two parts to his prayer. We aren't gonna develop it as we're just going through the chapter, but there's two parts to his prayer that are very important. The first one is in verse nine, where he declares God's past faithfulness. And I desire for you today to recall God's past faithfulness in your life. Pick a point in time. Pick a point of deliverance. Pick a point of faithfulness. Pick a point where, or, or one, or two, or five, or six, instead of only thinking back on all the difficulties, he says here, oh God of my father, uh, who said to me, return. Return to your country and your kindred and I'll deal well with you. God, you have dealt well with me. You are faithful. You are faithful, oh God, of my father Abraham. You've been faithful to Abraham. You've been faithful to Isaac. You are faithful to me. We don't want to forget of the faithfulness of God. A reminder of his promises. Not our schemes and not our plots, but his promises, his past faithfulness. And then secondly, he matches in verse 10, he matches God's past faithfulness with his own personal weakness. His own personal weakness. He, he doesn't, he's not suffering here in verse 10 of what the world would call poor self-esteem. This is not what he's suffering from. He's speaking the truth. He, he's not speaking down on himself. He's not, oh, woe is me. He is speaking a fact. In my current condition, compared to your promises and your faithfulness and my fears and anxieties and all that I am, I am not worthy of the least of the mercies and all of the truth which you have shown your servant. I'm not worthy. It's a statement of fact as he stands there under the mercies of God. As he stands there alive and protected and guarded. As he stands there with the privilege of prayer as he stands there in his weak knees and his desperate prayer, I am not worthy, I know who I am. It's the exact opposite of the way the world teaches. To speak forth truth in our lives is actually a place of great strength, not poor self-esteem. The idea of knowing who you are is one of the strongest places you can be. It's a place of great self-esteem where you recognize who you are in Christ and what he has done and where he is taking you. He's facing another thought in his life and he's gonna meet Esau later if you read ahead, but he's thinking another thought in his life like, you know, I've gotta, I'm gonna have to meet my brother. My brother's mad at me and the last time we talked he wanted to kill me. Uh, I think I need to clear that part up in my life. And it's all coming back now. 
He's released from Laban. He's no longer under that. He's out on his own, forging forward, taking those steps. And he's standing there going, God, I'm not going to make it without you. I'm not going to. It's a great beginning. When you face a problem, pray. When you and I sin, we should admit it. And understand that there are times when you're reading things in the scriptures that if you're not careful, you'll read it through the lens of the way the world speaks. When I say world, I mean our culture and the way they think and the way that we were raised. We were raised in this culture. We went through the public school system. We learned it uh, from this culture. If we're uh, playing sports or hanging out, like the culture has a message and it is simply this, to not love God. To not love God. That's competing loves. The culture places a very strong emphasis. Our world places a very strong emphasis. And here's the choice. Love us or love God. You can't have both. Now, God, of course, teaches us that. We don't need the culture to tell us that. John would tell us that if you have the love of the world in you, and I'm paraphrasing, you don't have the love of God in you. Jesus would just say when it comes to worry and fear, this speaks loudly to those of you in worry and fear right now, that You need to seek first the kingdom of God. That's the answer to the problem. That's the answer to the crisis. Jacob, before Jesus ever speaks this, he has it. Yes, he isn't seeking first. Okay, we give it to him. He's plotting and he's scheming. But he gets there. You can say he does it second. So if you're not going to do it first, you're going to be disobedient, then get up and do do it second. So until you can get a habit in your life where you obey Jesus completely. You don't think, well, you know, I already plotted and schemed. All right, repent and seek first. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And we'll see this is the pathway that Jacob gets to where he truly surrenders. He's not there. Even though he's got a great prayer on his lips, he's still not there. Even though he is at a place of great fear, he's not there. He's turned away from his plots to the Lord. He's not there. There's a need in his life for repentance. He asked for deliverance in verse 11. When I need your help. You said, verse 12, that I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea. He's almost there. You know, God is leading us to not lives of almost there, but complete repentance. One of the things we taught our kids Uh, in our home is that I'm sorry isn't going to work. It's a great beginning, but it doesn't really work when you do something to, you know, one of the siblings or something in our home. And so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not quite there. You're almost there because you probably stopped hitting, pushing, pulling hair, whatever you did, you probably stopped it because you're caught and you're busted. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But what we wanted our kids to do and what we want to cultivate is this, not I'm sorry, but this, will you forgive me for punching you in the face? Will you forgive me for gossiping about you? Will you forgive me for breaking your toy? Will you forgive me? Because there is a true repentance and admission when you, in, you make yourself vulnerable to that person asking, will you forgive me and acknowledging the sin that you committed against them? Oh, I'm so, you know, because sometimes it, we, we have in today and, and even in the church world, like, you know, something grievous happened 
And the response is, well, you know, I'm sorry, kind of like maybe sorry that you feel that way, that it made you feel that way. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're so jacked up because I really didn't do anything to you. That's not repentance. That's not acknowledging the pain that you inflicted. That, that's not helpful to relationship. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, you have the problem, but maybe next time you won't have. No, I'm sorry that my words hurt you. It wasn't my intention to hurt you, but I acknowledge to you that what I said hurt you. Will you forgive me? I want to learn how to communicate to you because I have something to say, but I want to say it the right way. Isn't that a far cry then? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, maybe I'm sorry. I'm not even sure if I'm sorry, but when you stop being jacked up, maybe you'll feel better. That's not the Lord. Remember, we're to think of others more highly than ourselves. Repentance before man, repentance before God is the acknowledgement first and foremost that I have sinned against you, God. And sin has a name, a behavior, an action. It, it is long, the sin is the root. The feelings are the fruit and many times we'll stop and go, well, I just have these feelings, I just have these feelings, and I shouldn't be sorry for my feelings. No, you don't need to be sorry for your feelings. You need to be repentant for your sin that's created those feelings, that's created that approach, that's created that bitterness or that anger. It's created that separation. I, I, that's why there's so much resistance. On, well, I don't have to. I'm not. I don't need to feel sorry for my feelings. Well, I don't know what you're supposed to do with your feelings. I don't even know what feelings we're referring to. But I do know this: if your feelings have become a barrier between you and someone else, there may be sin behind them, deep down, just between you and the Lord. And it doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a normal person. It doesn't make you a horrible believer. It makes you normal. That you go through life with hurts and pains and sometimes they're deep and they go back years. It doesn't make you bad. Things you've done to yourself you wish you never would have done. Even worse, things that were done to you that should have never, ever been allowed or happened, but they have. And to hold on to them in bitterness and anger and unforgiveness will not get you where you want to go. It will take you on a detour of pain and heartache and difficulty. And the response can't just be, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But rather, will you forgive me? And ask the Lord, because some, some listening to me right now would even think, I don't even know what the sin is, Ed. I'm not even sure. And don't you know the Lord will show you? Don't you know he wants to release you and free you? Don't you know he wants you to move forward? That if you will turn to him with this simple prayer of Jacob, oh, he might lead you, and as you turn the page, because it's my page in the Bible, and my, it's the next page, he might lead you to some wrestling match where more needs to come out of you, and it's going to be a fight to the finish. But even in the fight to the finish, the Lord is going to have his way with you. He's going to break your pride and your stiff neck. Why won't you repent? Because you pride in your stiff neck. Exactly what would happen all along the way. You're not willing to admit you're wrong. You're not willing to admit and change direction. 
two of the hardest words sometimes are just to say, I'm sorry, let alone will you forgive. But that's the pathway that God has taken you. And if today those are the only two words you can get out of your mouth, say them. I'm certainly not suggesting you don't use that phrase anymore, but what I am suggesting is that you mean it. True repentance is not gonna place the burden on someone else. I have sinned, Psalm 51, David says, before you, God, and man. And I believe this is where, this is where Jacob is. Unless you think that it doesn't apply to you as a new covenant, blood-bought, born-again woman or man today, the beautiful truth in 1 John 1, 9 needs to be said over our congregation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the truth for us. Verse 13, so he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. Again, he's teetering between trusting in the Lord and controlling this whole thing. Verse 17. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? You'll tell them. These are your servant Jacob's. It's a present sent by my, to my Lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed and drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. Verse 20, also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him, and the present goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he lodged himself that night in the camp. And he arose that night, it's about midnight, if you want to jot that just time-wise, it's later in the evening here. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he had had. Jacob there was left alone. We'll pause there for a second. This is just like us. We go from faith to control, faith to control, faith to control. This is the pattern here in this chapter. Oh man, let's set it all up. Oh God, I need your help. Okay, let's set it up a little bit more. And, and he's back and forth. As we come to the end of ourselves, we struggle with these issues, we face these problems, we admit our human weakness, we cry out to God in prayer, we surrender it to him, and then we pick it up. It's like a church service where the Lord speaks to your heart, there's some awesome move of the Holy Spirit, we do a big altar call, everybody's up here crying, and yes, Lord, deliver me, help me, Lord, and not even before you're in the foyer, you're worried about it again. And maybe not even before the first row here, like you're already back because there is a natural battle of the spirit and the flesh. I believe, I don't believe, I trust, I don't trust. I'm not sure, last time, and Jacob is in that wrestling. He's already wrestling before he's going to wrestle. He's already wrestling before he's going to wrestle. You try to jump in and fix things. Now let me speak to a part of this, I think, is pastor's faults. And on behalf of all of us pastors, I apologize uh, and ask for your forgiveness for pastors that may have caused you to believe this and taught you incorrectly. 
And being a pastor myself, uh, that means it's a blight on all of us. But perhaps we'll be one church that seeks to correct this error uh, in the modern church today. But many today, and even some of you, may approach the Bible like it is a self-help book. Because you've been taught your whole life three steps to happiness and five helps to make a better life and on and on the list goes. And while I do believe lists are helpful and I certainly use them uh, in my teaching, they help remember and they give you something to write down, I do need to tell you the Bible is not a self-help book. Jot that down if you're taking notes. Just say it to yourself. The Bible is not a self-help book. It is a God-help book. It's not a self-help book so you can improve your life a little bit and you can overcome a little challenge and you can learn a few new skills to get through. The Bible is not filled with coping mechanisms. The Bible is filled with instructions on how to die to yourself and live to God. (laughs) And that's the problem. Nobody wants to die to themselves. It's always finding good for everyone else. Yes, I've got a friend, she needs to die to herself and I told her that. And I've got a husband, he needs to die to himself and I tell him that every day. And uh, we got a pastor that needs a lot of help and I tell him and email him all the time. No, no, it's not a self-help book. God doesn't need your help. He needs your surrender. That's what he works with. He works with your surrender, your faith and trust in him. And while you may learn three things to help you move forward in life, because the Bible does give instruction on how to live a life that pleases God, it's not in the context of some self-help book, some new guru, somebody to follow like he's gonna be the answer person to the rest of your life. Just look it up and here's two scriptures and call me in the morning. Your life in Christ is a process. Day by day and moment by moment. The Bible is a God help book if we use that terminology. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able, according to 2 Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse 16, it's able to cut to the heart of the matter in your life. And isn't it true, the matters of the heart, uh, heart, the heart of the matter is almost always a matter of your own heart. And the problem is, is we don't even know our own hearts. We think the best of ourselves far, far, far quicker than we think of the best of others. Isn't it interesting how we are very aware of sin when someone else is doing it, but then we see it in our own lives. No, 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 no. There's a reason for that. Don't, there's a reason. I, 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 you don't understand. There's, there's some extenuating circumstances in my life. You, you need to stop it. When we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's not you and me, it's us. We all need the help of the Lord along the way. And the Bible says, Jesus did in Matthew chapter 16, he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. And in the process of denying yourself, pick up your cross. And in case you misunderstand what denying yourself means, it means to die to yourself. Then you can follow me. Jacob is on the path here. He's learning these New Testament truths back in the Old Covenant. God is doing a work in him. He gathers these 550 animals. He tries to bribe his brother. And there is some wisdom in Jacob's plan. This is not an unwise plan. Not necessarily a sinful plan. It's a gift. It's going to keep on giving. It's going to be a blessing. It should appease his brother. But that's not what God's looking for. God's not looking for peace in your family, he's looking for peace with you. That's what will bring peace in your family. 
The Bible says that if my ways please the Lord, he'll make even my enemies be at peace with me. And it's always, it's always with God first. You ready? The relationship order is always vertical before it's horizontal. And that's why a lot of our time is wasted as we're going back and forth, back and forth, horizontally fighting and pressuring and arguing. And when really I need to get beyond my knees and I need to get right with the Lord, me. That's, that's all I can do. That's all, all I can do is be responsible for me. And the Lord will work in my behalf. He'll honor his word. He's gonna honor his word with Jacob. Notice now what happens. He's left alone in verse 24. And a man, if you're reading from the New King James, you'll notice that the translators translated this Hebrew word with a capital letter. Mark that. They did that on purpose and it's accurate. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn. Now when he had saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him saying, tell me what your name I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. And as we close this section now, Jacob will be broken. He will be broken in this wrestling match. You see, in Laban, with Laban, the 20 years he spent with Laban, he met his scheming match. He met his match with Laban. Laban was a better schemer than Jacob. But now he meets his spiritual match. Because God is greater than Jacob, even though he plays with him a little bit and allows him the process. It's been about 20 years now since Jacob has had that beautiful dream at Bethel. Remember, this is the place. God is here, Bethel, the house of God, where he gave his life over to God. But he moves over, and it says in verse 22, he's at the ford of Jabbok. Jabbok isn't a fancy word to remember, but you won't forget it now, as Bethel leads to Jabbok. At Bethel, I want to see some comparisons here. At Bethel, Jacob saw a ladder. At Jabbok, he sees the Lord. At Bethel, he became a believing man, but at Jabbok, he becomes a broken man. At Bethel, he became a son of God, but at Jabbok, he becomes a saint of God. At Bethel, he came, <clears throat> he, came left with, he came and left with a new spring in his step. Super excited, remember? But at Jabbok, he leaves with a lasting limp in his walk. At Bethel, he died to sin, but at Jabbok, he dies to himself. And they're all needed. Jabek, the word literally means emptying. He's at a place of emptying. He's been on his way to Jabek now for 20 years. He took the long way there. He, as some of us do. We learn things the hard way. You don't have to learn things the hard way, but we choose so nonetheless. Or we take the long way. You don't have to take the long way. You don't have to take the long painful way. You don't have to take the long difficult way. You don't have to hurt people along the way. You can get there a lot quicker, but you're gonna get there nonetheless. 
Jacob arrives, and he's left alone here, it says in verse 24. He's left alone to think, to stir, to wonder. His flocks are gone, his herds are gone, his wealth is gone, his beloved Rachel is gone, Leah, Bilhah, the handmaidens, the kids, all gone. And he's alone. And it's in that moment a man appears to him, the Lord himself, and starts fighting with him, literally. He has a literal wrestling match with God. Now, can I ask you, if you ever wrestle with God, just say it out loud. Yes, yes, all right, maybe you have 20 years till you get to Jabbok, but you will. I've wrestled with God many times. Late nights, tear-filled prayer times, sleepless nights, struggling over his will, praying over my kids, praying for my wife, praying for this church, some of the things that have happened in this church over the years, fighting, wrestling, struggling with God. I've had these times fighting with God where I want my way. And I'm trying to find a way to make my way God's way. And that's a battle. That's a struggle. I've struggled with God. What's the next step? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What should I say? Many, many times. Here Jacob is physically taking all of the emotions. He's an emotional wreck here, if you want to use that phrase. And he's alone, in the dark, considering his future, contemplating his past, remembering the great promises of God. He's declared them in prayer, thinking about if his plans will work, wondering if he'll see his family again. What will Esau? He's just overwhelmed by the situation. And God shows up and begins to wrestle with him. That's not, an, that's not the type of answer to prayer that we think we're gonna get, you know? We expect God to come and pick us up and carry us. Here we go, Jacob. Here we go. Let me take you through this trial. But instead he goes, okay, Jacob, bam! In a wonderful way, if that's possible. Taking Jacob and wrestling with him. Battling with him. You notice, and I don't want you to miss this, it doesn't get easy during the wrestling. It gets harder. Because as it says in verse 25, he touched the socket of his hip. A very painful injury to have. We had a brother on our trip to Israel who had a severe hip issue come up towards the end of the, the, end of the trip. And, and he's a trooper, man. He got through everything and he finished everything. But boy, was he in pain. It's the kind of pain you could see on your face. It's the kind of pain where you're just plowing through all the difficulties of a trip like that towards the end of the trip. He just emailed me recently as God had used that as an illustration in his life to be reminded uh, of some things that God's doing in his life. It was a great email. He just, just this week, uh, he shared that with me. And I, I'm, he, so you got to understand, Jacob's in great pain here, and he keeps wrestling. Do you see that? It says right here, he, the hip was, the socket of, of Jacob's hip was out, verse 25, as he wrestled with him. So this didn't end the wrestling. <laughs> He's just gonna keep going. He's gonna keep going. He's gonna keep going. And he clings to him. As, as we know this theophany says to him in verse 26, let me go for the day breaks. And I'm not gonna let you go. I need your blessing, Jacob says, in deep, writhing pain. 
They say Jacob is stronger than the Lord. You know, people read to this and go, look, Jacob's stronger than the Lord. Therefore, he's in a position to demand blessings. And again, that whole false teaching of the health and wealth gospel and all, it's not even the gospel, don't even call it that. But that false teaching about demanding blessings from God as if Jacob's in a place to demand blessings from God. He's fighting for his life here. He's not standing up, I declare a Mercedes Benz. That's not what he's doing here. He's fighting for his life. He's being broken here not commanding God. He's in writhing pain. He's alone, he's fearful. He doesn't know what the future holds. Out of the blue, somebody knocks him over, beats him up, and he's like, what is happening to me? Like when you get sucker punched, and then you get kicked when you're down, and then a whole gang comes up and starts beating on you. What is going on in my life, Lord? Bless me, I need the blessing. That's the place of safety for me. This is not in any way a substantiation of that false teaching. This wrestling match is not to receive what we might think. Okay, let's put it this way. You ready? The wrestling match is to receive the blessing of God. And what is the blessing of God? Brokenness. So you want to demand blessings from God the rest of your life? Go for it. And know that the blessing of God will be a brokenness. He's going to be broken. This wrestling was designed to take Jacob's pride and crush it. God's gonna touch whatever we feel is the strength and our our self-confidence that's keeping us from surrender, things that we're leaning on, things that we'll put up a good fight for, things that were holding us back on an unwillingness to yield, and he'll touch it. And here it is in Jacob's life. He asked them the question, what's your name? Which is an interesting thing in the midst of a wrestling match. And again, I think we have to read emotion into this. It's not just black and white letters on a piece of paper. We have to read emotion into this and understand that this is a declaration of Jacob. Like, I think it's a strong declaration. I'm, I'm Jacob. He's admitting who he is. I'm the schemer the heel catcher, the conniver. I'm Jacob. I am Jacob. Or to many today, I have sinned. I am weak. I am powerless. I am. And that's what he declares. I'm Jacob. And that was the moment. That was the time. He cries out, I'm Jacob, I'm the deceiver, the conniver, the one who takes advantage of people, the one that's fearful, all of everything that he is in the human realm. It's like you can jot it down in Isaiah 6. He has a true revelation of who God is, just like Isaiah did. And what Isaiah say in Isaiah 6? I am a man of unclean lips. That's what happens when we have a true revelation of God. We realize who we are. It's back building upon what he said in verse 10. It's already in there. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, Lord, of the least of all the mercies. I'm Jacob. And if you want to progress in the spirit, if you want to make gains spiritually, it's going to cost your flesh something. You can't combine the teachings. That's why a self-help book, like, you know, self-help books is, you can just add this to your life, just add this to your life, and you'll be fine. This isn't the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is you need to get rid of this in your life. You need to deal with this. It's not okay to make excuses for it any longer. 
You, you need to, if your right hand causes you to sin, Jesus said, cut it off. He uses a euphemism. He uses an idiomatic phrase of the day that would speak to the reality of radical sin needs to be dealt with radically. It can't be messed around with anymore. Jacob, you want change? You're gonna have to deal with who you are at the core level. You are Jacob. But in this moment of declaration, this moment of admission, this moment, this moment where he comes to that place of admission, he says, notice in verse 28, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob, you got it. You won. Many people will misinterpret this as like he won the wrestling match. Nope, he won at life. He won at life. He admitted who he was. Now he's in surrender. But even in this wrestling match, he went the, wrong, he went the long way. Because now he's going to walk away as we see with a limp the rest of his life. Didn't have, to, didn't have to be this way. There's so much pain and sorrow ahead for some of you right now that you can avoid. You can avoid. It doesn't have to be that bad. You don't have to go the hard way. You don't have to go the long way. Just admit who you are and trust God for that inward change. But even so, many of us that did go the long way and the hard way, or many of us that have been touched by pain and difficulty, we too walk with a limp. We lead with a limp. We live with a limp. We love with a limp. And that limp reminds us of our human weakness and the supernatural strength of the Lord. The, the limp reminds me that God got me through before, he'll get me through again. He is now called Israel, prince. Some would translate Israel, they'll prince with God or prince of God. But another translation that's very common uh, for Israel is to be governed or ruled by God. Jacob, you used to be ruled by yourself, but now you're ruled by God. And you see, church, that pain and that struggle and that wrestling it will change your life forever if you let it. Even if it's your own doing or a situation outside of your control, it'll make you more like Jesus if you let it. I look back at some of the real big episodic difficulties in my life and I can see a few of them. Uh, some are still ongoing as I speak and, and, and I've uh, in the beginning, I didn't know this. I couldn't say this, but down, down the road a little bit, I can say this with absolute certainty. The things that have happened in my life have made me a better man, a better follower of Christ, a better pastor, a better counselor, a better helper, a better everything. That, I mean, I've read books on these topics and I've listened to Bible studies for 30 plus years and they have all helped me but God had a very unique way of using the circumstances in my life to change me. And if you've been in this church for any length of time, let's just say, if you've been in here in this church more than 10 years, uh, let's say you've been here 12 or 13 years, you could say, yes, Ed, I've seen a change in the last 10 years. Well, so have I, dramatically. Not everything's changed. God has retained a lot of what he wants to keep in my life, but circumstances happen that like, whoa, 
And, and even early on, even though I think I did choose sometimes to take the long road in some of them, but early on, I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to go the long way. And you can even make that course correction right there. <laughs> it's like you took a few steps in the long way. Nope, nope, nope. Back up, back up. Sorry. Nope, let me go here. I'm going to mess with the cameras now, but I go here. Back up and then go, right, go the right way. Isn't God so gracious and so helpful? And while you may not be able to say that today, I want you to know as you move forward, one day, one day soon, perhaps sooner than you believe and even think, you'll be able to say at a particular situation, it's painful and it hurts and I don't like it and I don't want it, but it's made me a better woman. It's made me a stronger follower of Jesus. It's helped me to see life a different way and to be more empathetic and compassionate or cautious and helpful so that you can be a more useful tool in the master's hands because that really what it amounts to. So you can be more useful. Have a more contented, peaceful life in Christ, abiding in him and he's abiding in you. I know that the world likes to make things more complicated and more dramatic but the Lord wants to make things more peaceful and contented in your life. That's a promise. It's available to you today by faith. That's where we leave Jacob. We'll get there and follow his life in the following. But maybe you're wrestling tonight and the Lord would say, hey, just stop it. Let me go. No, don't. I'm not. God, bless me. No, no. And then let me, let me tell you, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your life. And so it makes sense that the name of this place would change, the face of God, the place of breaking, the place of change. Father, thank you for your word as it speaks to us tonight and a little bit uh, full tonight Bible study. Thank you for that. And I do thank you for the testimony. I think um, eight years ago, I couldn't say it, or nine years, but I can say today um, with confidence, God, that you have made me and are making me a better man because of the difficulties in my life. And there's still a lot of fear and anxiety or a lot of flesh in me that it needs to be dealt with. And so I ask you, God, to continue. But I don't want to wrestle with you, Lord, to have my hip all out of socket and go the hard way. And I pray that over our church tonight, that we don't want to go the hard way. I pray that over the precious men and women that call Calvary their home, Lord, that and even if they don't believe it right now, I want to pray it into their lives. They don't want to go the hard way. There is a better way. You have designed us for, with a plan and a purpose. You want to give us peace and joy, everlasting, abundant life. And it's not found in this world. It's not found in resistance and pride and stiff-neckedness and rebellion. It's found in simplicity and surrender. And for those that are wrestling tonight, Lord, may it, may it end quickly that you might have full control of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety, or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.